Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we are missing you on this Good Friday. Welcome to our Good Friday Easter weekend service online. Who would have thought that uh, we would be actually meeting online uh, all across the city of Melbourne, across Australia, in Bangkok, Thailand, all around the world, wherever you are joining us online. Uh, welcome to Numa Church and thank you for participating in this service today. We just want to let you know that we're missing meeting you in a live gathering. My wife and I and our team are praying for you. We're trying to get in contact with as many of you as possible. We are really believing that this Easter weekend, the reality and truth of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is going to be more real to you than ever before as we look at the Word of God. So I'm going to invite you just to pray with me as uh, we start to get into this Easter message together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that on this day, 2,000 years ago, that there was a way made for us to be reconciled back to our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I'm praying on this Good Friday that, Lord, regardless of uh, what feelings we may have about the current circumstances of our lives, that, God, for a moment we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that, Jesus, you would be glorified again. Lord, your word says that when you are lifted up, you draw all people unto yourself. And so I'm praying that as I preach today, O oh God, that the name and person of Jesus would be lifted up as we look at Jesus afresh on the cross, we would be reminded of the reconciliation and the forgiveness of sins that we have because of what Jesus Christ has done. I pray, Lord, that as I preach, that people who are far away from you would draw near to you today, that people who have never asked you to be their Lord and Savior, Lord, would be reconciled back to you today. I pray, Father, for people with sickness in their bodies would be healed in the name of Jesus. I ask God that as I preach that, Lord, weary hearts would be encouraged and, Lord, that the truth of the gospel, which is not bound by any circumstance, any news headline or any pandemic, will come near to us today and, and work in us the transforming power of the blood of Jesus. I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, and I want to read from verse 45 uh, through to verse 54, and uh, I really believe that this is the passage that God would have us look at today because there are lots of different aspects of the crucifixion of Jesus and his death, but this passage in Matthew is a powerful uh, uh, account or narrative of what happened to Jesus. The Bible says in verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. 
And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Today I want to speak to you on the subject, it is finished. These are the words that Jesus uttered on the cross in the final moments of his death. I don't know if you've ever seen someone in the final moments of their life as they are breathing their last breath. I'm sure for many of you, uh, you've seen loved ones, parents, grandparents, Uh, tragically pass in those moments. It can be a surreal experience. And for me and my family, the final moments of my mother's life was a surreal experience. We were aware that something beyond the natural was happening in that moment, that it was in fact supernatural. I still remember our extended family surrounding my mother's bed in that intensive care unit in the hospital. And as we had to make a decision to turn off that life support machine, for about 60 seconds, my mother was breathing her final breaths. And in that final moment, as she breathed her last breath, apart from the fact that it felt like a sword was piercing my own heart, I was conscious of the fact God showed me a vision of angels surrounding her bed. And there was an awareness in that room from everyone in that room, regardless of what was happening around us in the natural, that the presence of God was there in that moment. As my mother's spirit was actually leaving her body and joining with Christ, in heaven for all eternity. It was a surreal experience. Well, Matthew's gospel records the final moments of Jesus' death on the cross. And often, if you've ever hung around church for any length of time or you've heard the words that Jesus was crucified, we can become so familiar or blasé with the reality of crucifixion that we can almost gloss over what Jesus actually went through. But on this Good Friday, I think it's imperative that we are reminded again that Jesus did suffer for us. In fact, a medical doctor has actually described and defined all the aspects of what literally took place in Jesus' body on that day that he was crucified. And whilst time would not allow me to read all the details, I just want to read for a moment a portion of what was happening in Jesus' body the moments before he actually died and passed away. This doctor describes hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber of the cross. And then another agony begins, 
a deep crushing pain deep in his chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues and the tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, Jesus can allow his body to die. And all of this, the Bible records with the simplest words, and they crucified him. You see, Jesus is being crucified, and he is in the final moments of his life, and the Bible says that all around him was darkness. In fact, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., which is often the hottest and brightest part of the day, the brightness and the heat of the day has been replaced by the darkness of night. Authorities around Jesus are mocking him. Robbers either side of Jesus are reviling him. And yet Jesus cries out in the desperation of this moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine with me for a moment Jesus hanging upon that cross that for his entire life he has had unbroken communion with his father. He would tell people in the Gospels, John 5, 19, he would only ever do that which he saw his father doing. He would exclaim in his high priestly prayer in, in uh, John 17 that he and the father were one. And so for all of his 33 years of life, he had experienced the awareness of unbroken communion and fellowship with his father. And now hanging on a cross, he is all by himself. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to feel isolated. He is in deep pain. He is slowly dying. And the question that comes onto his lips is the question, why? I wonder today, have you ever found yourself in a place where the brightness of life has been replaced by the darkness of pain? Well, of course you have. We all have. In fact, you could be in that dark place right now. And like Jesus, you could be asking the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening all around me? Where is God in the midst of all of our pain? Why isn't always the best question I've discovered because why is not a question that God always answered. It answers according to our timing or satisfaction. And yet for Jesus, while he was fully and properly God, he was also fully and properly man. His humanity was as much a part of this crucifixion moment as his divinity. And he, like us, asked the Father the question, why? I think that's an important question for us to ask today. Why was Jesus forsaken? And yet as Jesus asked that question in that moment, whilst the Father did not answer that question straight away to Jesus, we know that on the other side of the cross and on the other side of the empty tomb and throughout the centuries and the course of human history, we know and we understand from what the Bible reveals to us that Jesus was forsaken in that moment on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. You see, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the entire world across the entire spectrum of human history. 
Jesus Christ being the Son of God was the only person who could restore what we as his creation had actually broken. In that moment, our heavenly Father being a holy, set apart, consecrated and righteous God could have nothing to do with the sin that Jesus as that sacrificial lamb was taking upon himself. And in that moment, Jesus was forsaken, but he was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, you need to understand on this Good Friday that real forgiveness requires costly suffering. When you are wronged by someone, you have two options. You can either make them suffer or you can actually forgive them. And if you forgive them, you absorb the debt yourself on their behalf. In Genesis chapter three, our original parents, Adam and Eve, decided they knew better than God. It literally took two chapters of the Bible and human history for us to decide that we can take matters into our own hands. The height of pride actually took matters into our own hands and we rebelled against God. We disobeyed his instruction to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, an instruction and a guideline and a boundary that God our Father was putting putting in place so that we would not have to suffer the effects and consequences of, eat, of death or of sin. And in that moment, as we rebelled against God, that seed of sin acting like a pandemic infected the human heart of every son and every daughter since then. For all generations, that seed of sin has been pet perpetuated in all of our hearts. And the penalty for that sin, the Bible tells us, is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And God had every righteous reason to make us suffer the penalty of death because of our sin, but instead he forgave us. And he put that sin upon his one and only unblemished lamb, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. You see, real love sacrifices for the benefit of somebody else. Can you imagine with me for a moment a father walking down the road hand in hand with his little child and they're heading to the park to jump on a playground and spend some quality time together and as they're nearing the park, the, the young child is all excited and breaks free of the father's hand and starts to run across the road to the park, failing to see that a semi-trailer truck is heading towards him. But the father, because of his vantage point, sees what is about to happen and recognises that the only thing that he can do to save his son is to actually run onto the road and put himself between that truck and his son to sacrifice his life. And so that father runs and pushes his son out the way and takes the full force of that truck upon himself and he is killed instantly. That's exactly what Jesus Christ has 
done for you and I on the cross. When he stretched out his arms and was nailed to that cross. When a crown of thorn was piercing his head and his side was pierced with a spear and, and blood was shed for us. Jesus Christ took upon himself what was heading towards us, a, a collision with eternal death, a collision with sin. Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself on our behalf. Why? Because God has loved us so much. You see, God cannot be pure love if he doesn't exchange himself for our sin. The Bible says it like this in Romans 5, 8. Even while we were still sinners and didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. You see, in Jesus Christ, God gets personally involved in our pain right where we are. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this in Philippians 2, 6, when he says, though Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the story of the cross is the story of the great universal reversal. Jesus took our sin upon himself and he reversed the curse of sin that was meant for us. You see, sin is actually missing the mark. It's putting ourselves on a throne where only God deserves to be. Salvation is God putting himself on a cross where only we deserve to be. Well, the Bible story continues surrounding the death of Jesus and it says to us that after a bystander attempted to give Jesus a drink, that Jesus let out one final cry. He cries out again before he gives up and yields his spirit and dies. What is it that Jesus actually cried out in this moment? Well, it's been said that what a person says in the final moments of their life is most revealing about what's important to them and about where their headspace is at. Well, I did a search of some famous people and their famous last words. Elvis Presley's last words were, I'm going to the bathroom to read. Thomas Edison's last words were, it's beautiful over there. Bob Marley's last words were, money can't buy life. Humphrey Bogart, who was an actor's last words were, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. And Steve Jobs' last words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Well, the Bible records in John 19, 30, Jesus' last words. You see, the last words of Jesus are the most defining. They are three simple words that in that moment, in the moment he declared it, and in the moment that he yielded up his spirit, everything in the universe, everything in the cosmos irrevocably changed from that day forward. You see, Jesus' last words were, it is finished. And when Jesus declared, it is finished, he was not only saying, I've completed everything that my Father has given to me to do. He was saying, you are not saved. We are not saved by what we do, but what by what Christ has done. You see, the world tempts us to base our identity in our performance and achievements. The world says to us, I am what I do. 
It's what we call in Christian theology a justification by works approach. It's where our worth is measured by our performance and our achievements. I heard a uh, funny parable of a schoolgirl called Robin and she came home to her mother and she said, Mum, I quit school. It's too hard. No matter how hard I try on my assignments and my exams, I can never get an A+. Plus. I can never measure up to the other students. I'm just not good enough. And obviously the mother was concerned about her daughter's attitude and, and so she took her daughter Robin to the school teacher and they met together. And after a meeting and discussing, the teacher looked at Robin and said, Robin, from this day forward, whatever exam, whatever assignment that you attempt and you complete, I just want you to know that I am going to give you an A plus for every single assignment and exam. Oh, this was like a dream to every student's dream is uh, to get an A plus regardless of whatever effort that may put in. But the teacher said to, to Robin, to this uh, student, I want you to show up to class every day. I want you to lean in, take notes. I want you to listen. I want you to study and prepare for every assignment and every exam as best as you can. But I want you to know that you, regardless of whatever it is that you would contribute, I want you to know that you have an A+. Well, as the course of the school year went by, Robin started to love her studies. She started to love school. Her whole demeanor, approach, attitude changed. And before she knew it, as she began to hand in all of her work, the teacher recognized that not only had her work improved, but more often than not, she started to hit that A plus without even realizing it. You see, Robin's change of perception, of attitude, of her worth and value, according to the teacher, all of a sudden changed her approach to her life. And you need to know today that when Christ saves you, he places an A plus on your life before you do anything to try and earn your salvation or you do anything to try and earn the free gift of eternal life. You can't save yourself and you can't do anything in your own efforts. Jesus declares you a child of God the moment you simply believe and rest in his grace. You see, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You need to hear today that Jesus plus nothing equals everything in your life. When Jesus declared in victory, it is finished. He was declaring the debt that you and I owed has been cancelled. There is no more penalty left to be paid. Jesus Christ has paid it all. All the approval, all the purpose, all the pardon and significance, all the worth that we crave and need is already ours in Jesus Christ. You already have an A plus upon your life when you believe in Jesus simply because of what Jesus Christ has done upon your life. Well, after Jesus declared it is finished, the unfolding events of the crucifixion took on another turn and the Bible tells us in verse 51 that behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. What, why does John's gospel 
include this in the story of Jesus' death? What is the significance of the curtain and the veil in the temple being torn in two? You see, Jesus' death has opened the way for us to be reconciled back to God. And this veil that was in the temple was a thick woven tapestry of coloured strands that no known force could rip apart. This veil hung between the holy place and the holy of holies, separating the two inner rooms of the temple. And once a year, the high priest was allowed to go behind the veil and he would sprinkle blood on the top of that Ark of the Covenant, atoning for the sins of Israel. That veil symbolized a separation between us and God. That veil basically was like a billboard that said, God is inaccessible to you except through the blood of a sacrifice. Everyone, including the priests, were cut off from direct access to God. But with the death of Jesus Christ, the curtain that separated us was torn in two from top to bottom. And every single believer in Jesus Christ now has unprecedented access to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find help in a time of need. In fact, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 10, 19 talks about the access that we have and he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You can approach God today with full assurance of faith. Why? Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the story of Jesus' death continues. And the Bible tells us that after the curtain was torn in two and there was an earthquake and, and, and all of these different things were happening around the cross on that day. The Bible says in verse 54 that there was a centurion and there were people with that centurion. And the Bible says, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw with their eyes the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, I've discovered something about the cross. When you see Jesus Christ for who he really is, you start to see yourself for who you really are. There are two ways to look at the cross today. You can look at the cross through the eyes of reason. Or you can look at the cross with the eyes of revelation. The eye of reason looks at Jesus' death on the cross as simply an historical event with no consequence. And there have been many people in history who have looked at the cross simply through the lens of reason and logic. Gandhi was one of those people. In fact, he said, I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of great sacrifice, and even a divine teacher. His death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart simply could not accept it. Many people acknowledge Jesus Christ as an historical figure that walked the earth and the cross and the reality of what Jesus Christ has done is of no consequence to them because they simply look at the cross through the lens of reason. 
Jesus asked his disciples in the Gospels, who do people say that I am? He wasn't checking his popularity vote as he was wanting to discover where was people's awareness, understanding, perception and revelation at for who Jesus was. They replied back, some say uh, Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say all types of things and then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you didn't get that by, you know, flesh and blood, by going to college and reading a textbook. You didn't get that by simply someone passing down a cute little story or narrative. You got that by revelation from heaven. You see, the eye of revelation looks at the cross and sees Jesus Christ as the Son of God and says, I believe and I am a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. Many times in the Gospels, people would come to Jesus and they would approach Jesus in different ways. Often many people would come bringing their questions, but often they would leave disappointed and they would leave Jesus' presence disappointed because they would come to him with the lens or the eye of reason. They would address Jesus as a great teacher or maybe even a prophet but it wouldn't make an eternal difference in their lives. But for every person who came to Jesus, believing that he is the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the Son of God, who can bring miraculous intervention into their lives, they always walked away with an answer, with a reward, with a miracle, with something, with an answer, something that came to them that actually changed their lives. And my question to you today on this Good Friday is who is Jesus Christ to you? Are you simply looking at the cross on this Good Friday through the lens of reason and logic, acknowledging Jesus as an historical figure? Or are you looking at the cross with the heart of revelation that sees what Jesus Christ has done for you, that sees the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world? Because Matthew's gospel records that a centurion, a commander of a hundred soldiers and those who were round about him saw Jesus on that cross and they saw what Jesus went through and they saw the events around Jesus' life. They were eyewitnesses of what took place and their conclusion was one that was filled with awe. They said truly, this is Jesus, the Son of God. You know, over 20 years ago when I was a police officer and in training in the police academy, they were teaching us that when you arrived at a house and if there were criminals inside that house or there was a siege or something happening inside the house, to not always run in but to simply call for backup, surround that house and declare through a loudspeaker, come out with your hands up. I want to say to you today, when Jesus stretched out his arms upon the cross 2,000 years ago, God surrounded your life with his love. And he declares to you today, come out with your hands up. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. No longer live for yourself. You can't save yourself. But if you would come out with your hands up and you would surrender your heart and you would surrender your, your life to Jesus, you'll find mercy at a time of need. You'll find grace in the midst of all that you are facing and going through in your life, you'll find forgiveness of sins and you'll be reconciled back into right relationship with God for all of eternity. 
Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.